No Guest Monday. Uh, that's what we're going to do here. So I just did Sports Nation. I haven't done that show in forever. Uh, so Rudy's back in Bristol, as always. How are you, Steve? What's up? I'm doing well. How was uh, Sports Nation? You sound... Wait a minute. Let's talk about your attitude right now. What what went so well? Why are you in such... You're always in a good mood, but you sound like you're in a great mood right now. Uh, I'm pretty tired. Uh, I had my bachelor party over the weekend. Um, invite for me? Sorry, dude. I figured you mix? wouldn't want... So, you know, I figured uh, people, they asked me about this. Like, yeah, Rosillo, no. I'm like, he would be uncomfortable in this situation. Like, we were in the middle of nowhere in Maine. We went white water rafting. Like, I feel like you would just kind of sit a few things out, you know, kind of be by yourself. It would be all right. Actually, you know, I don't even know if you'd go. So I was just like, you know, I'll save him the, I'll save him like the, you know, the awkwardness and just, you know, leave him out of this one. No, first of all, um, I say that as a joke. I already knew that you were going to Maine, but I guess maybe I was, I don't know if I knew that it specifically was the bachelor party. I wouldn't expect you to invite me. So I'm, I don't like when people do that to me. They're like, Oh, what? No invite. And you're like, did you really think you'd be invited to this? Or are you just doing it awkward? <laughs> and I'm, then I just did it to you on the podcast. So that's not fair. And honestly, bachelor party groups, they shouldn't, um, they're, that shouldn't be a, a mixture that shouldn't be the chopped salad of friends. It should be a very specific group, your core group, and you shouldn't bring different guys in totally. that because there's more often than not, it's not like rarely do a bunch of dudes who are strangers unless they're just drunk the whole weekend and they figure it out. But even that can be kind of awkward um, because you know if your guy who's your guy does something, you've just already accepted him and he's already at your bachelor party weekend. So everything's fine. But if it's somebody that's new cross streaming with somebody who doesn't know that guy, I think, I think you do the right thing by keeping this a core group. And I'm like 15 years older than all you guys. Yeah, so. no, you would have, I think you would have gotten along with most of them. I mean, at three days and, and dudes are kind of like, all right, I'm kind of ready to just like not be around certain guys anymore. But I <laughs> How think many people was it? it was seven, but it was a good, it was a good group. It was like a close knit group. They all know each other. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, was, you can't, you can't, I, if I know zero of those guys, I, I, look, we're kind of kidding about this whole thing, but I would never, I wouldn't want you to invite me to that, and I, I likely would have not gone. Yeah, so. I figured you wouldn't. I figured, right. you just, I feel like that's not a situation you want to put yourself in. Not because you don't like me or whatever, you just aren't like, uh, hey, let me go on this trip where I don't have a lot of control over what's going on, you know? Ooh, that almost sounds like a diva thing. No, 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 not that. Like, I just know you. I know you well enough for like, and because I'm sort of the same way. Like, I don't like, I don't like like doing things with a bunch of people that I don't necessarily know, and then having to like sort of act for a, a weekend, right? You know, I do this like like Maddie, like with Maddie's friends. Sometimes it's like, all right, this is cool, but like, and that's more than a couple wife. days. It's soon to be wife, yeah, so that people know who Maddie is. Exactly. Um. All right. Yeah, I think. uh I think you made the right call and I, I'm not remotely offended. So I just, I, I spent minutes on this when I didn't have to and we both knew the end game of this whole thing. And you're right. Like if I'm sharing a room with strangers and I'm 12, 13 years older than some of these guys, uh, you know, I, I'm at a certain point in my life where I'm not sure. <laughs> well, for example, yeah, we pulled a like a deck of cards and like highest card got first pick at the room. So if you didn't get like a high card, like you'd be stuck in a, in a twin bed, you know, sharing something, sharing a room with somebody else. And I'm yeah, not sure I'm that would have gone over too well. No, I'm just, I look, I admit that to every, I've had Colorado ski house weekends where I go, what's, what's the situation? And they go, well, you know, you're going to be sharing. I go, I'm out. I go, I'll get a hotel <laughs> and I'll hang with you guys or I'll pay more for the bigger room. Yeah, exactly. And people can say whatever they want about it. I just look, there just comes a certain life. I think I was, I think it was 30 the last time I slept on somebody's couch. Like I went to somebody's house for a weekend, 30, I was still, I was, just, I was still, I was just about to not be broke anymore, but I wasn't making great money. But at, at that point, I wasn't worried about having enough money for the toll booth. But I spent uh, a night on a guy's couch, and he had a dog, and the dog kept messing with me, and there was dirty laundry on the couch. And I went, you know what? I'm 30. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing this anymore. And I got a hotel room. So there you go. And it took me a long time to grow up. So now at 42, um, main twin bed, waking up, another dude in the room. <laughs> who I don't know. Probably Pass. not ideal Rosillo yeah. situation. Pass. Okay. Uh, speaking of transactions, the Kawhi thing, it happened. He ends up in Toronto. And as much as I have thought about this, as soon as I start going down one road, I immediately contradict myself. And, you know, I don't know if that would be the great thing if I tease this podcast where I say it's three topics I'm just not really quite sure about. But that's me being honest about the Kawhi thing is that I don't really know how I should feel. Like my first rule would be if you're trading for Kawhi and you have no assurance that he's going to stay, you can't give up any assets for him. 
But then again, it's the same Toronto team that I haven't really liked for a long time. And there was that one stretch about two or three years ago where I felt like they were tougher and it was a little bit different. Um, you know, my whole stance on that, actually, no, Toronto's sneaky, kind of good in the playoffs because they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years ago. Like, I don't, that's a no. DeRozan and Lowry, for the most part, super disappointing as a pairing there. That felt like one of those, much like the Wizards, you know, I may have to just make a change for change's sake. So as soon as I say you can't trade somebody like DeRozan for Kawhi because as great as everybody feels about it now, and yay, look at us, and Masai can say, I got Kawhi Leonard. Like, I, you know, GMs like to do that stuff where they say, I was able to bring in a top five player into this market when nobody said that we could do it. Okay, well, you did it. And you did it because Kawhi and his camp have entirely mishandled this thing. The second part of it is that now, of course, it was great that there was a report out of San Diego where he went to college that there's assurances that he will be staying in Toronto, that he'll love it there. Can we at least play a freaking game before we're getting one source on something that, I mean, it's July and we have a, like, I understand how the segments work and shows. I mean, look, I mean, that was, that was me every morning waking up and reading this stuff and like, does this players not play? I would have mentioned that today if I was doing a radio show that there's a report that Kawhi already likes Toronto. And I would have already said, you know, maybe it is one of those sneak weird kind of side source things where it's like the right source when there aren't a lot of great sources on the Kawhi stuff because I had only heard you know other than LeBron wanting to play with him um and no look I've always thought it was Paul George that he wanted to play with first and then it would have been Kawhi um I, I'm sure I'm sure that LeBron would rather have Kawhi as his teammate this year going into this season and we'll get to all this Lakers stuff here in a second and what didn't happen but I you know I can't tell you I love this Raptors team now then you get to start talking about like who DeRozan is. And I think the Spurs, other than a massive package of young players that maybe was never coming anywhere else, I think Popovich likes the idea of DeRozan, LaMarcus, and Hoban DeJounte gets even better in, in trying to win some games and make the playoffs and, and at least being competitive, not competitive among the elites, but being competitive because Pop's towards the end of this run. And maybe he didn't even want to do a full rebuild because between Yaka Perto, who, you know, I've always kind of liked because of his skill set for a big man, but another pick that isn't even guaranteed to be a first rounder it could become two second rounders. And there's some ways it likely could be that. Like that's not much of a haul or you go, it is a haul because you have at least one certain thing instead of a package of five or six maybes, young players and draft picks. So even then I contradict myself where I go, okay, I don't love DeRozan, but he's still pretty good. And I understand what Pop looks at with this whole thing. And Toronto's like, look, we probably didn't even want to resign him for another massive Supermax contract that we'd have to give him because he's going to put up those kinds of numbers. And then, you know, like every every angle I look at it from where I go, well, my rule would be I can't give up stuff for a guy that can bail on me a year because then it's a total rebuild. Well, maybe Toronto want to do the full rebuild anyway. Or maybe Toronto should have just tried it one more time with this group knowing LeBron wasn't standing their way in the East. But even with no LeBron, I think the Celtics and maybe the Sixers are better than Toronto and Toronto just feels stale and stagnant. They can't come back with the same group. So every time as I'm doing this out loud in the podcast, I wrote all these notes down. I wrote down all these things like come up with a definitive. Yes, I love it for the Spurs. No, I hate it for the Spurs. Well, that's not fair because this isn't a, this isn't a fair situation to acknowledge. Kawhi wanted out. I think Kawhi is wrong for never explaining it. We don't have any real explanation. You at least owe it to not us, but the team and the team is still befuddled. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. Like, are you that sensitive? Like, did the Spurs really do something malicious with a misdiagnosis or did you have a medical opinion that differed from the team's opinion? Is that the worst thing that could ever happen? Is that so unique that it happened to you? Like, I don't think that that is that unique. And I understand wanting to protect yourself as a player. You know, when I listen to some former players who are those guys that the player is never ever wrong, I got no time for you, man. I don't want to listen to you because I know every single time there's a player or organizational debate in any kind of sport or anything that happens, like, you can't defend Kawhi and then defend T.O. and then also defend Le'Veon Bell and say, well, as a former player, this is I'm going to side with a player. And be like, well, cool. Then I never have to listen to you say anything about anything about any players because I can already guess what you're going to say. So I do I do think Kawhi handled this wrong. I do think if he really wanted to get to L.A., then, then let everybody know, like, don't even bother messing with me, Toronto. And now he's there? So... 
And does it mean because Paul George ended up doing something nobody expected to happen that Kawhi's now going to be able to do something like that or that all these teams are going to go, hey, man, nobody thought Paul George would stay in Oklahoma City and it worked out there, so let's give ourselves at least a shot because Kawhi would never sign here as a free agent if we get him here for a year and he decides he loves it and Toronto's an awesome city and it's international and NBA dudes love it. You know, maybe it can all work out and we'll pull the upset of the year a year after it just happened with them. And then you have the Lakers where you go, it's kind of like the Paul George thing. When they had the second pick in the draft, I said, don't you think it'd make more sense just to guarantee you get Paul George? And then it's like, no way. We want Lonzo. He's going to be awesome. And his dad is funny and he has a shoe coming out and George is going to come here in 2018 anyway. And you're like, "Ah, okay. All right. And then he doesn't come here. So you've just learned this lesson. And if you're a Laker fan, you go, well, hey, we'll just get Kawhi for free in 2019. You just went through it. Now, if you love Brandon Ingram, and some Lakers people absolutely do, uh, he is. it's funny being out here. I've always liked Ingram. It's taking a little longer. Like This will have to be the year where he shows like real superstar potential if he's really going to be a special guy. Like In your third year, you're going to have to kind of see that. It doesn't, I don't think it ha- like is, is all over the place for three years, and then the fourth year a guy becomes a superstar. But... You know, it's, it's that, it's that game of, wouldn't you rather just have Kawhi now knowing you're going to have him? And apparently if this is the place he always wanted to end up, that would mean you were just going to resign him. Because with this Lakers roster that's sneaky deep, but kind of horrifying. And then adding Beasley to this mix where this thing I do not understand other than Palenka confirming what I thought when it was first going down with Rondo, with Lance, et cetera, that he wanted tough guys, guys that could win a street fight, but probably still lose the game against a really good team or build themselves to beat a Warriors team that's still perceived as soft, which is just wrong because you can't be as good as them defensively or come back against the Rockets or come back and granted the Chris Paul injury or come back against the Thunder two years ago down 3-1 before they blow their own 3-1 lead. Like you can't be soft and not, you, if you're soft, you don't come back and be the Thunder three straight games in a row a couple years ago. So as I am running through all of these different hurdles of trying to figure out what happened here, I'm surprised the dudes in Toronto. I'm not entirely surprised by the package was given up. This will be a strictly grade after we know the story is over with the Lakers, where if they get Kawhi for free in 19, we'll go, yeah, look how smart they were. Look how smart they were. They knew, they knew they were going to get him. You know, if there's anything we've been learned from just this offseason is that we don't, we don't always know. We can think there are leans. There are things that I do know. There's things that I get wrong. There's things where you go, well, you know, how's LeBron going to feel if Rondo's not getting the minutes he wants? Beasley's screwing around. Lance is screwing around. And there's young guys on this Lakers team that want minutes and they're playing harder, but then the vets start getting pissed off. Cause like sometimes it's bad to have a team where you have 12, 13 guys thinking they're all supposed to get minutes. I would say actually it's always bad. And that's what this Lakers team is now. One-year deal guys going, all right, cool, let's tough it up and vet it out and all this stuff. And then it's a ton of draft picks going, like, Hart thinking, where are all my minutes? Like, what, like Kuzma's like, I'm I'm awesome. I'm playing 30-plus minutes. And you're like, well, Ingram's supposed to be a star. We, we re-signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And because we don't have any center depth, you know, Wagner might have to play more. And Svee's a shooter. Like, this is a weird team and why I thought it was a bad fit for Melo because there wasn't anything defined here where in Houston it's at least we know it's minutes and shots because there's like four defined guys, maybe five, on that Rockets depth chart until we know what the rest of their offseason looks like. So that is my long form. I kind of get it, even if I don't like it, from a million different angles. Saruti assess. I, I mean, I hate the Lakers roster. I really do. I don't, I don't understand. Like, if you want to use this year as a sort of, hey, let's see what we have in the young guys and what did you sign all these players for? And then if you have all these players in your team, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to win you anything. So what is their ceiling? Like, I, I, we were, I heard, we did this question today, actually talking with Randy Scott. Like, what do you think? Randy Scott. Love that guy. Love Randy Scott. Huge fan of Randy Scott. What do you think is more likely that they will overperform or underperform your expectations? Yeah, that's a really good one because you're kind of going, well, it's LeBron put him down for 50 wins, but you know, is it 50 and hey, this team's a real problem in the first round or is it 48 and you know, they're the sixth seed and you just go, well, whatever, they're going to lose in the first round. I mean, that's the thing where I'm arguing with everybody in LA. 
like because he's here now and now he's here by himself, which is something I didn't think would happen. And actually, my argument would be I don't think he thought he was going to have to make this decision to go to some place like this by himself, unless you count Pope and Rondo, which I don't. Um, you know, well, you know, he's just out. He's just out here now, and he's making he's making shows. He's got a comedy. See, he went out to dinner with Pacino and DiCaprio. Like, yeah, dude, he loves that stuff, right? Like, he never got to hang out with any famous people before this summer. Um, my point would be, you guys really think it's just, you know, he, it, it could be like, that's the weird LeBron discussion is like, Hey, is this actually just over now? Like, yeah, he's going to play four or five years, but expecting to see him in June, it's not happening anymore. It's over. Like you could do that segment and you'd be out in front of everybody else. I don't think that's his mentality is my point. And a lot of people are selling in the LA area that it is, well, you know, he's doing a little this, a little that, you know, might direct. Oh yeah, you know he's gonna. They're gonna give him a uniform and stuff. He's gonna play basketball, but you know that's not really why he's here. And I'm thinking, really? Like you, you think if it gets weird, and these vets start getting pissed that they're losing minutes to probably better younger players because they've drafted well here. Um, and it's kind of chaotic and annoying that LeBron's not gonna start thinking like, and hey, we couldn't have traded for Kawhi. You guys couldn't have done a better job with the Paul George thing. Like, are you kidding me? You guys think I'm gonna? You think I'm gonna slog through six months of this? Because you better get your stuff together. Like, I will predict in 2000 if it's a weird thing, early exit, turmoil, and they still 48 wins, whatever. Maybe even 50, 51 wins, but it just doesn't feel like a real threatening team in the playoffs. And LeBron goes through the whole year with that. That we're not going to hear some. You're not going to see like a Stephen A. on first take going, what I'm hearing is LeBron is not happy. Like, I think that's as predictable as anything if nothing changes between now and what this roster looks like. Or maybe they surprise the hell out of us and Ingram's a star and Kuzma's even better and Hart's terrific and one of the rookies is awesome and Pope plays defense and Rondo locks in. And I haven't even talked about Lonzo yet. I mean, that's this team is funny because every time I think about the Lakers roster, I'll be like, oh, that's right. They got that guy, too. So, but wouldn't you want to give those young guys the minutes? Like, ha- don't really have it be this thing where they're fighting with vets, like you said. Like, let Kuzma, let Ingram, let Lonzo all develop with LeBron. And if you don't win this year, there really aren't any expectations for you anyway. Instead of just like making this like super crowded roster of guys who like you don't really know where they fit in. Yeah, and I wouldn't want multiple guys who have repeatedly not gotten it as players. You know, when I was on Sports Nation, LZ Granderson kept saying, well, you know, this narrative, this narrative, this narrative, none of these guys have ever gotten in trouble. I go, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking yeah, about, come on. like, getting a DUI or hitting somebody. I'm talking about guys, Rondo admittedly checking out on Boston, quitting on Dallas, Dallas being like, you can leave now during the playoffs. Beasley, I, I mean, do I have to even talk about, you know, Beasley checking out? JaVale's a winner now. I, I, I'm with you. It's a really... And you don't have to listen to me about it, but I've, I've talked to numerous GMs like early on when I first started, you know, being lucky enough to talk about, and I would ask, you know, how do you build your roster? What's an ideal thing to do? How do you stagger your contracts? Like all the stuff that I just love. And it's something that guys said over and over again. They go, you know, you have to watch it. You have to know, you know, eight guys are going to play, maybe two more with injury matchup stuff, but the rest of your team better be okay with knowing they're not going to get minutes and that they're veteran guys to be there to help in practice, to try to show guys the right way to do it. And I do think some of the analytics GMs, some of the guys that have tried to rebuild, um, people get really obsessed with everybody having to be the same age on a roster within a couple of years of each other. And if you have a team of just all first and third year players and the guys that aren't playing, are, are, those guys still think they're awesome. You know, it takes you until year seven or eight before you go, okay, you know what? This is kind of who I am. Young players in the league all think they're awesome and all are going to get huge contracts. And if they're all on your roster at the same time, or in this case of the Lakers, behind guys that could only get one-year deals as free agents, it's uh, it's odd. And the other thing that's going to happen with LeBron, I don't know what he'll be like defensively. He could be energized early. Hey, look at me. This is awesome. I'm in L.A. and I'm super locked in. I'm trying to set a good precedent. I would imagine at some point he totally coasts on defense. And this Luke Walton job that he's done here has been incredible. 
because it is a young team that has played really good defense. And, you know, the Sixers have even surpassed that this year, which is, you know, something, again, I always point out, doesn't normally happen. And Luke did that. Uh, they were, they were pretty good this year defensively for a young group playing together. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what LeBron will mean for that. Like, how, how's Kuzman going to feel when LeBron just bails on an assignment and then the guy dunks and then LeBron looks at Kuzma? I mean, I guess you just get over it because it's LeBron. But that's going to happen. That's going to happen at some point. All right, transitioning out of that, I have uh, three observations that I want to make at the end of the show. I may start doing it on solo pods. Um, people seem to like the Adam McKay thing. It was a little different. I really liked him. I thought he was great on it last week. We talked about it afterwards. I loved it. Um, and I, you know, we talked about all the different movies he's been involved in. Step Brothers to me is like a fine wine. Like it, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it just, I didn't love it the first time I saw. I liked other movies of his better. And now that's by far my favorite one. Like I've, I've gone a little bit down on Anchorman, but Step Brothers to me is like the best comedy that's come out in the last, I don't know, whenever it came out, 10 years. Easily. Yeah, it's 10, it's exactly 10 years ago. Yeah. That movie's incredible. And like the talking about like the ad libbing and how good they are at it is amazing because it was funnier. I thought it was less forced. It was more natural. Yeah. And I also, you know, as I said in the pod, I thought John C, I think John C. Riley's like the most mm-hmm. underrated dude ever. Um, you know, cause he can do the fact that he's like believable in some serious movies and then can play like kind of, on his way out porn star and boogie nights and then do those doctor what is it dr buell or Burel <laughs> for your health those weird youtube videos that he does steve brule yeah i think that's what it is and he was in gangs of new york like yeah I, you know right all right i have two other topics that i want to do i'm going to do one quickly and then i'm going to try to get into a one that is probably pretty dangerous but i want to do it anyway this one isn't dangerous. Andrew Luck, 28 now, yeah, 28 now, 29 in September. There's two camps with Andrew Luck. One is that he's totally overrated, has always been overrated. I am in the other camp that his team has been terrible and that he is awesome and that he's been hurt and that if he's healthy, he's going to be awesome again. And somehow the overrated camp has basically used his injury and these problems to say, see, this guy was always a clown, which I don't get. I did some digging again on this because we now know that he's saying he's good to go, he's ready to go. And I will give the luck haters, um, like I will defer to, to you on that point, that it's it feels a little, this feels really annoying. You know, this feels like the... Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not. Hey, I'm good this time. No, I'm not. Hey, I'm good this time. No, I'm not. And now it was actually the shoulder problems been going on since 2015 when it seemed like he was taking a little bit more risks. Um, Hasselbeck, not the one that was his backup, but his brother. Um, you know, Tim, Matt was his backup and Tim obviously had, was always really good on, on luck because, you know, his brother was his backup the whole time. And, and even Tim was like, you know, there's some moments he's having now because luck did play full seasons. Uh, his first few years in, played half a season in 2015. It feels like he hasn't played in three years, but that's just not true. He played in 15 games in 2016, didn't play anything last year. But Hasselbeck would kind of push back on me because I'm like, as pro luck as it gets. And he'd be like, well, dude, he's starting to make some mistakes. And some of this stuff is a little bit more on him. And then I'd be like, well, it's his offensive line. He goes, well, you know, your job as a quarterback is once you realize you don't have a very good offensive line, you got to protect yourself and you got to just start minimizing the risk. And, you know, look, those guys played in the NFL. I didn't. And I kind of get that whole point of it. But my overall thing would be if you're selling this stock, I would keep buying it, even if I couldn't cover the losses the last couple of years because it hasn't been good, whether or not playing or ultimately who he was in 15 or in those 15 games in 2016. But if you look back and that's one of those great exercises where in the moment, how does it feel versus how does it feel going back and looking at his stats years later? And if you look at the stats years later, you're like, wait a minute, everybody was telling everyone how bad Andrew Luck was all of a sudden? Like those stats are actually still pretty good. But Luck was supposed to be what? Elway. He was supposed to be a guy at this point who was always, you did your top five rankings and then you wondered who else would be in the group and there'd be no debate whatsoever with Andrew Luck. And now he hasn't and he hasn't because of the injuries, uh, first and foremost. His defense, looking back, has always been pretty bad, but maybe even a little bit better than you'd expect because he has a couple years, if you look at DVOA, where they were kind of middle of the pack average, which actually surprised me. And if it was total defensive yards, they were always 20th or worse, except for one year in 2014 where they were okay. The rushing offense has always stunk. It's always been in the bottom third of the NFL. We know the O-line has constantly been a mess, but it feels like they've actually stabilized it, at least with what we think on paper is more talent than they've ever had before to protect this guy. So... I, I do, 
I, I do. All I can tell you is that doing the show for all the Andrew Luck years, it is a really polarizing topic. Um, and there, there are some of you listening right now that think he's protected and that it's just this media thing. I can only tell you watching him live at Stanford and then who he became immediately getting this team into the playoffs. Like this isn't somebody who hasn't even just won playoff games. This is somebody that carried a team as a rookie the first couple, well, not just as a rookie, but the first couple of years. You're like, man, they're early in the playoffs. So wow, they're going to Denver and he, you know, he beats Peyton Manning. Like that stuff was real and like, yeah, this is how special this guy's going to be. But some of you I know have completely written him off and feel like it's done. And any of us that are still talking about what he can be or will be if healthy, but like those of us who are still doing that have lost our minds. Okay. That was a quick luck thing because I wanted to give myself just enough time to do this Josh Hader deal. Uh, Hader reliever this year for the Milwaukee Brewers has been insanely good. We're talking strikeout numbers that we've just never seen before. Uh, I remember very early on catching him and watching him pitch and going, this is like this Chris Sale type reliever where just it's the first time you saw him. I freaked and I don't do that very often anymore about baseball where you go, this guy's a little different. You know, I pick him up on my fantasy team, trying to get that whip down, still in first place, if anybody cares. I know most of you don't, but I maybe can do a part two of this podcast, just going through every transaction, because I like to let, I like to make a lot of moves. I'm still thrilled that I have Glaber Day Torres, even though, you know, the Boston background there. So, Hater, uh, another victim of I'm an idiot, or maybe he's a racist homophobe. I don't know. Uh, the tweets I can't defend. I, I, there are some that I could go, well, you know, if it's a lyric, is it really the same intent as a 17 year old? But then when you tweet out the homophobic stuff that he does, you go, okay, I can't, like, I don't have a counter to his position on gay people. Like, I can't, I don't want to do that here on the podcast. So what I'm doing, and cause I can't, I don't know him. Um, but what I can do is at least try that exercise of, you know, how would someone who doesn't think the way you think or how would somebody of a different color, of a different gender, like how would somebody feel? Like can you try to put yourself that through that exercise as impossible it may seem? And the fact that Hader was given an ovation upon his return probably speaks to a few different things, and I'm not quite sure how many of them are accurate or inaccurate. So, Hader, the tweets are busted out. And it's right during the All-Star game. He said he went back in after his dreadful appearance and checked his phone and it was blowing up. And there's all these things that are out there that I just can't repeat on the podcast, okay? And then, like, I believe I read a story where his family was wearing jerseys of his name, their name, you know, in the stands. And then that they had to be switched out, the jerseys, because it was, like, making its way through the stadium. And people were starting to say stuff. And, you know, then everybody's tweeting his career is over and it's over. And then he comes out and makes a statement, and he owns it, but he does talk about, hey, I was young and I was stupid, but there's no, you know, he, he tries to do as well as he possibly can with something that feels like in the moment, I'm sure, career-threatening and like my life is going to be over. Uh, I found it interesting and maybe really important that every um, player that was, wasn't was white that was on his team, I think, I don't want to say factually, I know every single player that's not white that's on his teammate, but it felt like a majority of them stood behind him as he addressed the media and so haters getting destroyed and, you know, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying like it's wrong, but like that's just what's going to happen. You're going to get exposed with these tweets. It doesn't matter how old you are and you're going to get crushed. And then it's just a matter of like how long will this stay in the news cycle? But then he comes back and he's given a standing ovation by Brewers fans. So this is what I, I think is accurate. Doing this long enough, I've, I know that if a guy is awesome and he's your guy, you are selfish as a fan and you defend him. Okay. No matter what. Whether it's Ray Rice, Barry Bonds, man, when I used to do those game night shows when I first started and Bonds was still kicking it. And, you know, we had, we used to take calls and Giants fans would be like, Oh, you're just out to get him. You're like, yeah, that's what we do over here in Bristol. We're just like, who? Let's just take down Bonds. The FBI did that, not, not us. Um, it just, it's constant, you know, like I think there were even Brewers fans that defended Ryan Braun when it was so obvious what a liar Ryan Braun was. And, Yet it was still your guy. Now you don't like him as much because he doesn't get on base as much, right? So that's the first part. Fans are selfish for players that are great. If Hader was a 210 guy and he got cut, none of them would care. And he certainly wouldn't get an ovation coming back. Number two is, I think the ovation, and I hope the ovation, is motivated by, oh, everybody's going to beat up on one of ours, 
we are going to show ours support as a big middle finger to the media that is beating up on our guy. I hope that's what it was, and I believe that there is some of that, because that's what happens. It's like, okay, now, wait a minute, every single show is doing the hater topic, and what should happen? Should he be banned from baseball, and all these different things, and you know, the commissioners called him out, and on and on and on. And you go, all right, well, you know, we're, we got it, you know, we got, we're going to stick up for one of our own here. And by one of our own, I mean a guy in Milwaukee. <laughs> and then I see, uh, Pablo Torre and Bamani Jones and, you know, other, uh, guys that have the job that I have or, or, or some women, you know, that don't look like me. And they looked at it as, wait a minute, white male player sends out homophobic, racist tweets, and is giving a standing ovation by a primarily white crowd. Like, what the bleep is that? And I go, man. Like, what if, like, if I were black, would I go, yeah, what the hell is this? Are you guys serious? 30,000 plus, you guys going to get up there? And I don't know what the attendance was for that day, so I'm just assuming, like, you know, in it somewhat. Uh, it looked busy. Like that, that's the thing. I think that's kind of the scariest thing is that even though I can be convinced that it's selfish fan reaction and it's, I'm going to kind of fight back at the media here who's bashing my guy. Like that's what I believe it is. But if I were black, would I go, are you serious with this? You can give this guy a standing ovation for what? Sending out awful tweets and having to do a couple interviews and dealing with it. Like, are you what? And that sucks. Like that's, I think the worst part that, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's why people stood for him. But imagine feeling that way if, if you weren't a white guy. And that is the scariest part of the whole deal. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Srudy. No, I think you, I think you said exactly what I would, what I would think. Yeah. But are we, I mean, what are we wrong? If we were two black guys, would we go, Hey man, are you serious? You guys are just going to get up and give this guy standing up and clap away? Like, would you go point A to point B? Cause that bums me out. You know what I mean? Like that bothers me that someone of color could think, Hey, the way this country is, Oh, this is what's happening right now. And that's the, that's like I said, I've, I've said it a million times here, but that's it's scariest, most disappointing. Like, Oh man. Wow. Cause you know, I could get into the whole, like, where are you at when you're 17? If you ask me about gay marriage when I was a 16 in high school, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I was going to give you a, a completely uneducated answer because I was 16 years old and the access to information is not even close. You know, we use encyclopedias for stuff is pre-internet and I'm just a kid who didn't have a lot of different, um, things going on, you know, as far as like in my life that, that made me understand different walks of life. I mean, I was on Martha's Vineyard, which isn't as white as everybody makes it out to be. Uh, and it's certainly not as rich as everybody makes it out to be. There's some real, every class economically is covered there. And just, you know, it actually attracts this kind of wayward soul who, who decides to go out there. And that's not white, black or anything. It's just kind of where your head's at. And you just try to find a way to make it work. Um, and, and live in a beautiful area. But, you know, a lot of those dudes, you know, aren't, aren't killing it out there. Trust me on this. Okay. And, you know, I was talking to somebody recently about, you know, living in Manhattan beach and they said, you know, if you raised a family, would you want to live here? And I went, well, why not? You know, the schools are great. That's the reason why the real estate's worth what it is. And everybody wants to move in there and it's close to everything. It's near the water. And it was like, yeah, but it's like 90 something percent white in the schools. And I thought, okay, but I mean, the schools are great. It's like, what's the problem? He's like, you really would want your kid to grow up and never be around any diversity whatsoever. And then he starts to have access to it at like 18 or 19. Like what kind of opinions will he have formed? I thought, wow, that's actually really smart. And so like a friend of mine decided to not move to Manhattan beach, moved to a couple towns down that has more diversity because he wants his kid to be around people that look differently and have different outlooks and maybe experience things earlier on. And I started to think like, man, that's, that's a really admirable thing. Like I don't, you know, that'd be one thing to move your kid out of a town with great schools to move to, to another town with also good schools, but making sure, you know, that there were people that, that didn't look like everybody else. Um, and it was the first time I'd really, you know, 
I guess I, know, I haven't thought about being a parent a ton, you know what I'm saying? But it was it was something where I'm like, yeah, okay, look, I totally get that because then I start thinking about these guys are getting exposed for saying really stupid and sometimes flat out hateful stuff. And who knows if they change their mind? Who knows if they just apologize to apologize and hope to move on and everybody turns the page and they could still think these ways. I don't know that. But I know that once I got to college and I started studying and reading a little bit more and being around more people, and it wasn't like I was going to uh, NYU. I mean, I was still up in Vermont. But once I started realizing, like, my thoughts on gay marriage, it had completely changed because I, I just understood it better. I go, you know what? Like, why would I Why would I have any problems with this? You know, I'm 16. I wasn't mature enough. I didn't I didn't get it. I didn't understand anything. Just in a, few, in a few years of just having some different life experiences and reading a freaking book and listening to a professor go, you know what? Like... This is and I'm sure there's people listening right now that go like, no, I've, you know, how could you even, how could, why did you change your mind? Or I, you know, it's, it's just a collection of experiences. The problem is, is that before we're educated enough, we have, uh, plenty of tools to share our thoughts on stuff before we may be as educated as we need to be on this. So, uh, I don't, I don't love this publicly trashing and this was clearly timed strategically to happen during the all-star game. So I don't want to defend hater what I want to, but I just don't, you know, I think you guys know me that listen long enough that I don't, I don't like this cycle of let's, oh, okay, we found some bad stuff. And I think there's also a thing too. It's like, look what I found. Okay. Now I'm this guy on Twitter and then I'm going to expose it. And everybody's going to, I'm going to get a little bit of attention out of this whole thing. Although the guy I still was reading today, like what I looked at originally, I'm not, I'm not informed enough on like the origin of the tweets and finding them and then getting them out there or who tipped off who. But there was something I was looking at in the moment it was happening. I went, oh, okay. Well, this was, this was a big plan. Um, I don't like the just full on, let's destroy somebody. And then we're all kind of over it, you know, like we get to this peak thing. And, and, and then this now again sounds like I'm trying to defend Hader and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending him. I just, there's things that happen with this that, that really bothered me. But I think the standing ovation con, uh, conversation was a little different. On a much lighter note, it did happen in a way, though, with uh, Cubs guy. Did you see that, Saruti, where it was the little kid with the baseball yeah. and it looked like a guy took it from him? And so I sent out a tweet because I go, I don't know. I don't know what happened here. So it looks as if the player is throwing it to a kid in the front row. He tosses it. The kid in the front row doesn't handle it at all. It rolls down to the second row. And then the guy, white guy, Cubs jersey, you know, it looks like a million people that you've seen, you know, right out of central casting and then hands the baseball to his girlfriend, it looks like, and then like high fives her. And then it's just on, destroyed by everybody. And then I even deleted a tweet being like, wait a minute, are we sure? I was like, well, if there's any gray area, I went back and looked. I was like, that was pretty clear he was throwing it to that kid. And then Dave Kaplan, who's on our Chicago affiliate in ESPN 1000, who's an awesome dude and is like as Chicago as it gets, followed up with a story. And they're like, well, the kid already got a ball. And he got a Javi Baez ball, I think maybe after the fact. And the dude, like he had helped him get a ball there before. And this is happening all the time now. Like if you don't, if you catch a ball and you're just like middle-aged guy and don't immediately give it to somebody else, like there's some people out there that are despicable, but we're turning every single ball kid adult interaction. We're turning it into this just public shaming thing. And. You know, I joked about like Kaplan's follow up to this being like too late. It's too late here. Uh, and then of course the same blogs that were destroying this guy then started saying shame on MLB for outing this dude <laughs> with this video. And you're like, you know, you guys just need to figure out what you want to do. And none of you care. Like none of you care anymore. Um, but that was, that was another classic example of let's all destroy everyone. And then, oh wait, there's more to this. Oh, well, who cares? Below decks on. Yeah, it's like, it's the most 2018 story of all time. I just want to be outraged about something that I know, that I only saw like 10 seconds of and have no actual knowledge of the entire situation. But I'm going to like fire off a bunch of tweets saying that this guy should get a lifetime ban and he's the worst human being alive. And you're just like, all right, yeah, on the surface, it looks really stupid. And, you know, I'm totally with you. Like, I, like, like I'm going to bring Randy Scott up again today because I couldn't believe he didn't, he didn't change his mind on this. He still thought that the guy was being a tool. Because he's like, oh, you should all, you know, you shouldn't just take the, the, the ball for yourself. You should always be giving it to the kid. I'm like, well, how many balls does the kid need? He got a signed Javi Baez ball. He got a ball before. Like, how many balls does this one kid need at a baseball game? Like, I don't understand. Wait, like, hey, before you can just be like, hey, I'm going to take one and give it to my girl. Little secret here. Sometimes kids suck. Okay. Sometimes kids catch suck. the ball. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not going E10 here on the kid, but you know, he could think that every ball in the area is supposed to come to him because he got one. All right. Like I had an instance where 
Man, let's see. Rosillo circa 01, perhaps. So if I'm 01, I'm 26. That means, yeah, I'm, you know, I meant it might have been 2000. It could have been 99 because my little brother, who I am, uh, 14 years older than, not, not the youngest, youngest one, the DJ. And by the way, all the music's by my brother, Euphony, uh, U-E-F-O-N-I. He's playing a big festival headlining, I think, now in San Diego. So he's starting to blow up. So check out his music. It's really good. Uh, if you don't like it, just play it at parties for girls and tell them, lie that you like my brother's music. And I swear to God, when you put it on around girls, they're all going to go, this guy's amazing. Who is it? And you'd be like, oh, I found him on this NPR deal. It's cool. Yeah. And then you don't even, you you know, anyway, I need to promote my brother more on the podcast. Uh, All the music's from him. But he came up to visit me with my dad and we went to go see like a a Burlington, um, you know, the when it was the old Vermont, was it what, still Vermont Expos? Yeah. Yeah. They were still the Vermont Expos. So it was right there at Centennial Field um, where UVM also played their baseball games. And I was part, I parked my car behind right field. And as I was walking to them, I was late and my brother was, I don't know, you know, nine or 10 or something. And this guy either hit a home run or a mashed foul ball, like right by the pole. And the ball like hit the ground and it like rolled to me or, you know, it it may have been like on a hop and it was just coming right at me. And a kid came running over. Full speed, way after the play was over, by the way. It would have been a flag for late hit. And he slams into my leg and then immediately, you know, because I was starting to focus in on, you know, leg presses then. And he immediately just ejects himself off my leg back into the ground. And I pick up the ball and I was like, oh, dude, I was like, are you okay? Are you all right? And he looked up and he wasn't crying. He was fine. And then he put his hand out for the ball. And I went, well, hey, I was like, I have a little brother who's about your age and I, I wanted to give it to him. And then just waterworks, waterworks, sprints to his mom. She comes running over. You know, I'm a jerk. And I go, hey, look, I go, ma'am, I'm sorry. But like, did you see the play? And of course, none of them care. And I go, you know, my little brother's over there. I would love to be able to say, hey, that foul ball, just like, I'm going to bring it to you. And so I go, let's go get a cotton candy. So I buy the kid a cotton candy. I hand him the cotton candy. And he takes the cotton candy, takes a bite out and like sticks his hand out again. Is like, where's the ball? And you know what? For a 16 year old, this kid was a jerk. Just kidding. It wasn't that young. That's, I mean, it doesn't, you see what I'm saying? Parent needs to know better too. Like what, you know, I don't know. No, the parents, I mean, dude, they were probably from Milton and people from Vermont will get that joke. So, uh, yeah, like if there had been a video camera on me, would that mean that I would have been on Twitter and just destroyed and then just, we could, like I had a tweet where I was like, nope, too late. He must die. And then I go, you know what? Somebody's going to say, what if he, you know, what if he's dealing with mental issues and then you're saying he should die and then is that a death threat? I'd be like, you know what? It's Sunday. I don't have time for this. Okay, three observations. I think I'm going to do this uh, from now on. Are you ready? Suri, if we could just have a little music under this, yeah. that'd be terrific. Okay, three observations. Below deck captain rankings. I'm going to go Captain Mark, one. I like his even keel style. Get it? And the fact that he doesn't really want to deal with much of the drama between the stews and the deck crew. Um, he's very stern. Again, see what I did there? But he's fair. I'm going to go Captain Sandy. A little hands-on early on. I know that bothered Hannah. And I could see Hannah is her own. She's self-made, right? Um, she's she's not a second stew. She's the chief stew. And she's not going to be a second stew even to the captain. And I'm a few episodes behind on Below Deck Med. But I do believe that um, I really like Hannah. You know, the, Hannah's, Hannah's grown on me. I... You know, I do notice that there's something with the chief stews where they feel a little bit like it's their boat as if they own it. And that frustrated me more with the original below deck crew and the chief stew, who I think was from Texas and just wanted to get married. That's at least how I read the uh, situation. But um, Hannah, you know, she's, you know, everybody has their ups and downs. And I think overall her ups outweigh her downs. You know, I, I know some girls that feel like she can be a little difficult on the show. I don't know. I'm a Hannah fan. And I think she proved herself to Captain Sandy, but I am missing episodes. And then Captain Lee was never a fan. Just, you know what, man? You're a captain on a reality show. Get over it. And Lee seemed to hate it all the time. I believe you watch Below Deck Med as well, Surdy. I do not, but I have a... I don't want to sidetrack you, but I do have a reality show question for you. Okay. Is it about the Bachelor rumor with me? No. No. Oh, okay. You want me to just go for it? 
Yeah, I'm really, re- I love Jay Cutler, and I watch, religiously watch Barry Cavallari now, and I hate reality shows. I kind of hate most reality shows, unless I've watched three episodes. Because if I've watched four episodes, I'm just a storyteller, and I need to know what happened. So I will watch garbage shows if I've seen three or four in a row. Like, Hotel Room, Remote doesn't work that well. And you're just killing time. And next thing you know, you've watched Laguna Beach season two. Well, yeah, you Three did that on purpose, obviously. Come on. Yeah, I mean, the hills, the hills are <laughs> Obviously. Seven years, too. Feels like it was uh, yesterday. Yeah, okay, so those are my captain rankings. Uh, number two observation. The Robin Williams documentary, watched it. A little dangerous here. A little dangerous here. I never really got Robin Williams. Never Whoa. really got it. Yeah, I people. Interesting. I think he's a better actor than comedian, and I think he's an incredible actor. I think his role—he plays like such a perfect therapist in Goodwill Hunting. He's incredible in that. His facial expressions that shown—excuse uh, me, show, not past tense. He does the face of the internal pain, of the pained therapist. That is, you know, as they make the joke, the therapists are actually there to solve their own problems, and not yours. But he is, he, he does as good a job. He, he plays that role perfectly. He's great in one hour photo, insomniac. He's incredible. Uh, he's a great actor in a bunch of different things. And the stand up stuff that people are like, he's a genius. He's a brilliant guy. I'd find it spastic and inconsistent. And I didn't, I, you know, I've watched a few of the specials and I go, oh, I don't know. I don't really get it. And, um, I, I do think he was, you know, despite his, his personal problems, which, you know, I don't, I don't know, I'm not a big beat up on everybody guy because of that stuff, but uh he's um he was he was interesting and he was different. I mean you could say he was kind of doing the Jonathan Winter thing and he was just kind of doing a Jonathan Winter routine in an eighties, nineties version of it. But yeah, I'd have, I I would never say like, oh yeah, Robin Williams, one of my all time favorite comics. I don't think that's that hot of a take. I I I think he definitely is a better actor. Wow. See, I think some people worship him i think there's comedians i'm afraid to be out in los angeles even say something like this who knows i get pair of the project and then all of a sudden everybody green lights my thing and they write me a huge check and we're in development and then somebody goes did you hear that rosillo guy he doesn't think robin williams is funny yeah we'll be we're, we're gonna cancel this we're not even we're not even gonna just cut him a check for the pilot that we're not even gonna shoot i think most people my age too and even younger because they grew up watching a lot of his movies and not necessarily knowing his stand-ups would probably agree as well so maybe like, you know, you're in your 40s, I'm about to be 30. That gap of that 10 years is huge because I think everyone I know loves Robin Williams movies, but I don't think most of them really that care that much about his stand-ups. Yeah, Miss Doubtfire, I didn't even say that. Colin yeah. Cowherd says the greatest comedy of all time is Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, that's... Uh, doesn't that make Cowherd, like, doesn't that confirm how weird he is? That doesn't make any I sense. And it's guy. not even I don't like that movie. It's just like... no. Yeah, all right. Um, you agreeing with me makes me feel even worse about saying it because you guys don't like anything and you think anything that is like remotely old, like if they made a VHS of it, you guys think it's... Yeah, sucks. like I wouldn't watch those movies today, but... That's know, fair. I'm yeah. not asking you to go home and watch them as far. Okay, final thing. And I've noticed this now being at the beach. Spent a little beach time yesterday uh, with a girl. Friend zone, though. Whoa. Yep. If you're... A male, and you have a ponytail, and you're 50, 98% chance you're single. I've been tracking this. I've been tracking it for a while. I did more more research yesterday. Or you're really into nature. <laughs> Which is also probably pretty probably Now, I know what's going to happen here. There's going to be one guy who's like 52 that has a ponytail that's going to hit us up on Twitter, at Ryan A. Rosillo, that's going to say... I've been married happily for 27 years. I can't believe you think that if you have a ponytail. And you're like, you know what, dude? If we did a poll, do you like the cold? There would be a lot more no's than yeses. And it doesn't mean just because you live in Alaska and you like it brisk as hell that you're in the majority on this one. I believe whenever I see a guy walking around with a ponytail who's north, really I'd say north of 40, but I'm trying to be nice here and say north of 50, because that tells me you are, you are, an independent guy you are uh, you're looking at life as as just not a shared experience but kind of wondering why people don't get you you know and i've noticed more and more a ponytail guy walking around beach kind of shirt off at times 
you know, maybe he has some sort of fanny pack thing. Like there's a, there's a specific guy I'm thinking about, but I've seen a lot of different versions of him, white, black, even like, you know, that guy's almost always by himself. And sometimes the guys are in good shape too. And then there'll be like balding ponytail guy, which oh, maybe that, is just, yeah. but that, the, pay attention to this. And I don't even think this is a West coast, East coast. I think you can be any region in the country. If there's a guy late forties, early fifties walking around with ponytail, He's going to be by himself, except for biker gangs, because those guys have what they call old ladies. That is the proper terminology for biker girlfriend. Um, but, you know, there's there's some sharing stuff going on there. I don't know all mm. the rules when it comes to sharing uh, your old lady. I, I don't think if, I think if she's technically an old lady that isn't it's frowned upon. But then if she's not an old lady, it's kind of like, you know, I. I I don't want to get in any fights with any biker gang, so I probably should stop talking. Was there like an era, you know, because obviously like I had a man bun, man buns were a thing for a while, have since cut mine off, but like was it, was the dude pony a thing like when you were growing up? Was that what guys did? And that was like a, now the guys who have it now are holdovers from that era? Like do you think there'll be like guys with... Well, there's definitely some holdover there. I mean, really that, that hairband thing... Mid '80s, early '90s, but those were ponies, though. I mean, that, that yeah, was like it wasn't perms. No, it wasn't almost, a ponytail, right? right? Yeah, feathered out in the front, just blasted off the sides. I mean, it looked like two waves crashing at the at the forehead, <laughs> you know. But they'd be blonde as hell, and they'd be teased out, and then it would just be teased out straight hair. And then you know, you'd have guys holding that over. But like, there's there's kind of like bolder ponytail guy who still looks probably pretty good in a suit, and. You know, he may have gotten in on some early IPOs, but then there's kind of just Highlander ponytail guy who I don't ever see him walking with anybody. So basically, I'm starting to think that I'm eight years away from a pretty sweet ponytail. <laughs> All right. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, check it out. Um, you got anything you want to promote, Saruti? Is Randy Scott back on tomorrow? Randy Scott back tomorrow. I love Randy Scott. Yeah, Randy's the former- best. I, I would like him to be introduced. If you guys could get a graphic or Cutler to have a drop, this would be my little production assist to the show. Just have Cutler cut a thing where it's like, Randy Scott, stand-up comedian. And then you drop it and have Nuno hit it all day and annoy him. Or when he says stuff that's kind of funny, why don't you get a super over-the-top laugh track and have that button and just keep doing it? <laughs> Will you do that yeah, for me so for a annoyed. segment tomorrow? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, get me an over-the-top laugh track and hit it. Every time he says something, like third, fourth, maybe you go fourth segment of the hour because you don't want to screw up with his whole plan. But do that. Actually, by the time he, everybody hears this, people are going to tell on me because you're just some of you guys are such. Clowns. Yeah, don't at Randy Scott. Yeah, don't. At, let's see. Let's just, let's see if that happens. Don't at Randy Scott that we're going to have a laugh track button for him, and Saruti can have fun. He can go on for a few segments or just one. And when even when he says something just that's not even funny, he does a progressive read laugh track. <laughs> alright man I will uh, talk to everybody there's probably going to be one this week although I'm in studio a lot and then I'm coming back to New York City to do get up for about uh, a week plus so uh, busy busy TV schedule coming up this uh, this month or so thanks for listening as always <laughs>